Hello and welcome to Talking Trauma with me, Juanita Delaway. I'm a trauma and narcissistic abuse recovery coach and I am so excited that you're here because if you are here, it means that you're either wondering if you or someone you know is suffering from the effects of trauma or narcissistic abuse. When I was writing this episode, I was thinking, how can I put this across without being controversial? Because I want to keep you listening to me. And if I'm controversial, then you might not. There you go. That's one of my worries. But I'm just going to put this across because it's my held belief and it's also my experience. So we are told that depression self-sabotaging, anxiety, low self-esteem are all caused by lack of chemicals in our bodies and or it's a mental disorder. Well, think about it like this. If we are all getting the same symptoms and we have had similar events in our backgrounds and we're responding in the same way, so our nervous system causes anxiety... How are we disordered? It's a natural human response to a traumatic event that has happened in our past. We're not disorders, we're functioning the way that our bodies and our minds and our memories were designed to function. So there we are, I'll start this second episode with a little bit of controversy. But I really hope that you get the information that helps you see the real life effects of trauma and narcissistic abuse because narcissistic abuse is a form of trauma on your life, on my life, on your family or friend's life. And I just want to make sure that you know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about trauma. So if you'd have said to me, 25, 30 years ago, what's trauma? I would have said, okay, well, it's a traumatic injury to a particular part of your body and then gone on and give you some verbose answer about the degrees of physical trauma. I'm not talking about physical trauma. That isn't this podcast. I know there are podcasts out there that discuss physical trauma, but that's not me. What I'm talking about is emotional, psychological trauma. So when we talk about trauma, what do we actually mean? Divorce, abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, narcissistic abuse, all of those things are not the trauma. They are the traumatic event that led to the trauma within inside of you. Trauma is what we say to ourselves, what happens inside of us, as a result of that traumatic event. So when that traumatic event happens, we can become disconnected from our emotions. You know, there's a, there's a word that's used a lot um, called disassociation. And that's when we completely disassociate from any emotions that we probably should be feeling about an event. And we can also become disconnected from our bodies. I have clients that will talk to me and at me. And if I allowed them to for the whole of our session, that's what they would do. Because they're talking from their prefrontal cortex, which is the bit that sits at the front of our brain. 
but they're not feeling anything in their body because they've disconnected from feeling any of their emotions. And we do feel the result of our emotions in our bodies. And our minds, bodies, nervous system was designed to function as one big system with different parts communicating with other parts so if you remove one part of that system it doesn't function to its best ability so if you have disconnected from your emotions you've possibly also disconnected from the emotions that make you feel happy that make you feel joy that make you feel positive and good to be alive so whilst they are protective mechanisms they can have some consequences that are not really positive to you When we've been through traumatic events and therefore made beliefs about ourselves, we also develop a negative view of the world. Now, I know that currently there's a lot happening in the world that is horrible and it's unkind and it's brutal. I know that. But generally, people are kind. But when you've experienced these traumatic events and then internalised negative things about yourself you then believe that the world is a negative place and this was my experience so now I've done all a lot of healing work on myself I I was going to say all but that's not true because we're always on this journey of healing so now I've done a lot of that work and finding out that my mother didn't love me in the way that I needed because of what she'd gone through And I know my father did love me, but of course he was physically aggressive. So both of those things, mother not loving me, father being physically aggressive, obviously were traumatic experiences for me. And I then developed negative feelings about myself and negative beliefs about myself. They also had negative views about the world. And they then would express those overtly, you know, like talking about them, but also putting things in place for us children, particularly me as the only girl, that intimated that the world was a bad place. So not only did I get it from my own internal belief system because of the bad things that had happened to me, but I also got it, which I'm sure this is really familiar. You know, you get told as a girl... Um, being by a certain time and of course that's really sensible but then there are things that because of their fears you then have to inherit so lots of messages that I got as a child about how bad men were how bad the world was and how people are out to get you how they're out to trick you how they're out to take advantage of you those are all messages that I grew up with and then of course that's how I went into the world so because of those traumatic events that have happened to you in your life you then have these wounds that you're carrying around and they're like a physical wound you don't want them to be scratched you don't want the scabs to be picked off them because they're painful And what do I mean when I'm talking about these wounds? Well, it's those really deep held beliefs about yourself. See if you recognize some of these. I am not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable. I'm not important. I'm stupid. I'm ugly. No one loves me. 
these are all beliefs that they are untrue, but you've built them up in childhood. And because you believe that about yourself, you react in a way to protect those wounds from being scratched, to protect those wounds from being poked. Like, you know, if you did have a a scab on the back of your hand, you don't want to sit there poking at it because it's painful, right? So your behavior then is adapted so that you're protecting those wounds from being poked, things that trigger us. So in order to not feel the pain of these wounds of not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy, feeling stupid, you then start to develop behaviors that prevent that wound being poked at. Things like addiction, drinking, smoking, drugs, they're all a way of trying to deal with the effects of the trauma. And it does temporarily, but then of course you have to have more of it. And then the addiction in itself then of course creates problems in itself. So these are all ways of stopping feeling the effects of the traumatic event, what you believe about yourself inside. So other behaviors that you might develop in order to not feel those feelings, things like people pleasing. Now, people pleasing is a response to trauma, a response to stress. You know, you might people please to get people to like you because then if you get people to like you, then you're not going to feel that pain of not being good enough, not feeling worthy. And you might also people please the perpetrator of your abuse. You might people please them in order that they don't then carry out those behaviors that then cause you pain, physical or emotional. So other behaviors that you might come up with as a result of trauma and not wanting to feel that really deep wound that was caused as a result of the childhood trauma or the narcissistic abuse. So things like anger. Now I know for me when I was a young woman that I was very very angry and of course I was angry at the things that had been done to me but I was also angry as a way of protecting myself because if I was angry then people wouldn't get to know me and people wouldn't want to be around me. Now, I didn't think of this consciously, of course. It's a subconscious thing, but I did it. It's like this part of me used to come up. I had a counsellor that described it as being a prickly hedgehog to keep people away because if I kept people away with my anger and defensiveness, then they can't hurt me, can they? Because I can't get close to them. They can't get to know me. They can't see that. I believe I'm a bad person. So there's all these behaviors that we come up with as protective mechanisms to stop feeling those wounds that were created when we were children. Some other behaviors that you might not have thought of as related to trauma, OCD behaviors, needing to control your environment, needing to control certain things about your life. And These are all protective behaviours, but they come with a consequence. So things like, let's take OCD. 
Now, I'm not an expert in OCD. I've had some clients that I've helped with their OCD tendencies and the effect that it causes on their life. They don't go out or if they go out, they have to have a ritual. That ritual takes time. Their family gets frustrated with them. Things like if they're washing their hands multiple times a day, there's health implications. So all of these behaviours that we subconsciously come up with in order to protect our childhood wounds that were caused by the trauma, they have a consequence. So things like my anger part, it kept people away, but it also kept me from connecting with people. And we as human beings, we need that connection. You know, our energies need to be connected to each other. So they all have a consequence and not all of them are positive. In fact, a lot of them are negative. So just think about some of your behaviours. You know, I had a, um, a client that was an incredibly prolific people pleaser to the degree that it was detrimental to themselves and when it becomes that point then you then it's time to seek help because you're not doing it altruistically you're doing it because you need other people to give you some feedback to make sure that your wounds are not being picked at so another few behaviours that you might actually recognise that can be as a result of suffering traumatic events, they're a trauma response. And one is a part of you comes up to fix or is a rescuer, and that was me. And it kind of gives you that feeling that, oh, well, at least I'm useful to somebody or I need to be needed. But underneath is you need to be needed because you don't think you're worth it or you don't think you're important. And even narcissists, narcissists are not born narcissistic. Narcissists and those that have traits of narcissism, and I'll just digress a little bit here because I don't believe, along with many other people, that you need to tick all of the nine boxes that are in the DSM. If you haven't heard of the DSM, it's the Diagnostic Statistical Manual and it's used to diagnose mental health disorders. Now they have nine traits that you must tick to in order to get a narcissistic personality disorder label, okay? I don't believe you need all of those. If somebody is exhibiting narcissistic traits, they are then causing abuse to the people around them because of those traits. Okay, so that's where I stand on that. So narcissists don't come out of the womb. Narcissists. It's as a result of their own traumatic experiences that they then develop these behaviours in order to keep themselves safe. Our bodies and our minds and our nervous system are all connected and they're all there to keep us safe to keep us away from pain and to keep keep us alive basically so our nervous system has developed to the point that it warns us about things that might harm us things that might kill us and trauma when we suffer it from childhood or in adulthood with PTSD that then impacts your nervous system. 
your nervous system responds to that event in order to warn you the next time that might happen. So that's stored in your body along with all of the muscle memory, all of the fascia, which is the bit that goes around muscles. It's all got memories. So all of this is stored within your body. And if at the time of this event, your nervous system doesn't have the capacity to cope. So let's just say you've experienced lots and lots of trauma or lots of anxiety inducing events. And then you have another one. Your system might not be able to cope because we do get to a point where we are overwhelmed. So just for a bit of clarity, when I'm talking about system, I'm talking about your nervous system. So if we don't cope with it, at that point of it happening, we don't process it properly. And then it's not time stamped. And that time stamp happens in a part of our brain called the hippocampus. And that's involved in storing memories and time stamping it. And it's also involved in emotional regulation. So that event is then not stored as something that happened in the past. We then go on to experience something similar maybe a a smell or somebody shouting or, or an event that happens. And because our nervous system is now programmed, thinking it's happening in the moment, it sees it as happening in the moment. So it then produces all of the hormones for you to then fight or flight. And in some extreme cases, to shut down, that's that's what we call dorsal vagal in the polyvagal theory. And it's what animals do as well. If they're captured, they act dead. Um, but I'll talk a lot more about polyvagal theory in another episode. So if we have that event, that then reminds us, reminds us the nervous system, because we've not timestamped it, it happened in the past, everything in your body is going to start responding as if it's happening right now. And you know, with the best intentions, people say to you, you know, just pull it together, pull it together. Um, It's not happening. It's okay. But you're not listening at that point because you are now in your nervous system. You're now in fight or flight. Your logical brain shuts down, your heart rate increases, and you're not listening to the person to tell you you're safe. There are things they can help you to do. But at that moment, chatting to you telling you to calm down well you're in your fight and flight so you're not listening to them well I hope that was useful and you understood it I'll I'll talk a lot more as we go throughout this podcast about how you can relate these theories your nervous systems to what you might be going through or what you want to understand about your own nervous system so if we go back to trauma and our responses to trauma being about our perception of the event, not the event itself. When somebody says to you, which I have had, well, I didn't experience that event like that. Why are you so sensitive? It's not about their perception of your trauma. It's about your perception of the traumatic event. This is something that I'm really, really passionate about because so many people get gaslit 
when they start to talk about a traumatic event. They get gaslit because the other person they're talking to cannot understand that they've responded in this way. That gaslighting of the traumatic experience that they had then compounds any of the negative beliefs they've got about themselves because who's going to believe them? If they've started to talk about it and nobody believes them, then that just compounds that traumatic event. So this is me on my soapbox. If somebody says to you, you're too sensitive, you're too anything, you're too emotional, which I have had said to me many, many times in my life and a lot of my clients have had said to them, you are not too anything. You are perfect as you are and you are functioning as the best that you can with the resources, with the energy that you have available to you now. So how do you know you've had trauma? Let's just run through some of the obvious causes of trauma or the traumatic events that lots of people know will cause trauma. Things like war, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, neglect, rape, birth trauma, not just the physical trauma, but the emotional trauma for both mum and baby prenatal trauma you know before baby is born so if mum is feeling anxious or is in a dangerous situation that then causes her to go into her fight or flight response feeling anxious feeling stressed and that's then passed on to baby and then baby is born feeling that the world is a dangerous place not feeling safe these are all obvious causes of trauma but there are also causes of trauma that you might not think oh well that would cause trauma now remembering going back to the logic that it's our perception of the trauma okay so that being said anything could cause us a trauma dependent on our background dependent on the attachment that we had with our parents and I'll cover attachment in the next episode So some less obvious causes of trauma, moving house, birth of a sibling, death of your pets. Oh my gosh, I can remember the death of my first pet. And it was a rabbit. I think I might have talked about this before um, in episode one, but it was a rabbit and it was killed by the next door neighbor's dog. But I wasn't able to process my own grief about my rabbit, which was called Flopsy, by the way. (laughs) because I had to support my mother and that's really strange it's a really strange memory that I have but I had to support my mother because my mother was um, talking about how she loved the rabbit and even at that very young age I must have been about five maybe six I felt it was my job to look after my mother And of course, you're not conscious when you're that small, are you, of the reason you do all these behaviours. But now I know it's part of what narcissistic and unloving mothers do is they want the attention. So I thought it was my job to look after my mother. So I don't think actually really grieve for that rabbit. So there you are. That experience with the rabbit has probably impacted my life now. And I don't have any animals now. 
And that is one of the main reasons. And I think, you know, I didn't realise until I started to do my own trauma training that it's the not so obvious causes of trauma that can also have the same impact as what people consider obvious causes of trauma. So other causes of trauma that might have an impact on you, having a sibling that is much cleverer than you, much more gifted or more beautiful than you. And I also know this because I have a very, very intelligent older brother. And of course, when that discussion comes up in the family and, you know, talking about intelligence, he's always at the top of the tree for intelligence. And other not so obvious causes of trauma will also impact you more or less dependent on your upbringing, the love you received as a child, the attachment you had with your caregivers, the support system you've got around you at the time of a child. You might have experienced this yourself, not getting picked for a team, not getting picked for the football team, not getting picked for the netball team. You know, when I was at school, we used to line up and the team captain would pick who they wanted. And I was always left last. And that, again, that really impacted me. That really upset me because, of course, then that feeds into my childhood wound of not being good enough, people not liking me. So you see all of these events in our lives. If we've had traumatic events before or we've got this belief about ourselves, if we then go on to experience more of these events, we it then solidifies that belief that we've got about ourselves you know we can go oh yeah well I didn't get picked for the team that must mean I am not worthy or I am a horrible person and nobody likes me because that's our internal narrative that we've already got from previous traumas so just one more less obvious cause of trauma being rejected by a friendship group or a friend And I think that is so common, a cause of distress and trauma for females, particularly for young girls. Young girls can be so cruel, so cruel. And also being rejected by a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Now, I know from my own experiences that when my first love relationship ended, I was absolutely distraught absolutely distraught and I know this is also a common experience but just think about this if you've already got this internal belief because of things that have happened to you in the past okay like myself you don't feel loved when you get rejected or a relationship finishes when you're very very young and you're not the one that finished it that would then feed into your narrative, your negative belief that you're not lovable. And you might say these to yourself consciously, but a lot of the time it's subconscious. And then your behavior then adapts to your belief that I don't feel lovable. So when anybody shows you love, even if it's in one of those really destructive relationships, That will then go along with the blueprint that you've already had that equals love. And then there you are, you're in this relationship that is abusive or emotionally abusive and it doesn't make you happy. It doesn't serve what you want or you need in life. So 
whilst it might not be a really, really obvious cause of trauma, there are so many things that happen to us in life that because of what we've gone through in the past or because of our nervous system state based on what we've gone through in childhood, it affects us. It affects people much more than it would another person who had a loving family or a loving mother. So just be really, really kind to yourself and other people. Don't dismiss your own experiences causing traumatic responses within you. And don't gaslight yourself saying, oh, well, that didn't matter because somebody else didn't have the same response. Your response to that traumatic event is what is important. So I think you'll gather through this podcast that I'm kind of challenging the way that we label things like traumatic responses and mental illness. But for the sake of a bit of clarity, what I'll do is just go through a couple of the definitions of trauma. Let's just stick with three at the moment. So acute trauma happens with a single stressful event or a dangerous event, something like a car crash or an earthquake, which often results in PTSD, so post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, I disagree with the word disorder, but there we are. That's the definition. And these are the terminologies that are currently used. And the reason I question them is because if it's a natural human response to a traumatic event... Why is it a disorder? I'm not disordered. I'm just responding naturally how I was programmed to respond as a human being. So chronic trauma, trauma that goes on and on. So some examples, domestic abuse, chronic medical illnesses, where you get lots of invasive medical procedures, homelessness, neglect, starvation, and complex trauma. So that's things like exposure to multiple traumatic events and that results in being referred to as CPTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And I think it's also sometimes I have heard it referred to as childhood post-traumatic stress disorder or chronic post-traumatic stress disorder. Whatever it's called or however people say it, it's referring to those multiple traumatic events and that's what a lot of people who have gone through childhood traumas multiple childhood traumas that's what they present with is those symptoms of CPTSD and like myself when I look back at some of the behaviors and some of the symptoms that are associated with CPTSD I could tick quite a few off as I'm sure many of you could as well. So without this sounding like a science lesson, I really hope that you're getting some information that you didn't already know and getting an understanding that we have to be compassionate to other people as to what they consider trauma is and how it's affected them. We can all have the same experiences in life and we can all have had the same traumatic events and have the same responses for it. So the last thing that I just want to say before I wrap up this podcast, this second episode of Talking Trauma, is when people refer to trauma as a big 
T, i.e. a big trauma, and little t as a little trauma. Now, I don't know where that originated, and I can only have my own assumptions as to why they consider it a big t and a little t. That really doesn't sit well with me, because it's not up to anybody else to categorise how I've responded to trauma. So if anybody says that to me, or, you know, if anybody says, oh, it's just a little t, no, really measure my response from that traumatic event and then tell me it's a little t. So I just want to put it out there is that I don't believe there's anything as a big t or a little t. That's just nonsense to me. Anyway, so we're coming to the end of this episode two of Talking Trauma with me, Juanita Delaware. And I just want to thank you for listening to me and you know feel free to contact me however you want I'll leave all of my contact details in the show notes so please hit the subscribe or follow button it really does do wonders for the show so more people can find talking trauma and if you've got any questions about anything I've talked about please drop me a line with the email addresses in the show notes I read every single email that I get whether it's another episode idea, a guest recommendation, or just a simple note to say how the show has impacted you. I'd really, really love to hear from you. So just a little bit of a snippet about what I'll be covering in the next podcast. So we'll be talking a bit more about attachment to our caregivers. And most of the time it is our mothers, but it's it's to our main caregivers and the importance of that and how that impacts us for the rest of our lives. And also give you a few positive notes on even if you don't get that attachment that you need, you can still fulfill your own needs and heal from those wounds. So thank you very much for listening and I'll see you soon on the next episode of Talking Trauma.